millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are connected today remotely with Susanna Geske. Susanna is the widow of Tilman Geske, who was martyred in 2007 in the city of Malatya, Turkey. Susanna, welcome. Thank you for being willing to share with us this week. Hello and good morning. Let's go back to the very beginning. Can you kind of share how God called you and Tilman to serve him, but then also to serve him in Turkey, in a Muslim country? It started with me while I was in Bible school. Um, we had people praying for Muslim people, and we had contact to Muslim people in a nearby city. So that started during Bible school, and my husband was doing his studies in Indonesia in a Muslim area. How much of an adjustment was it when you actually got to Turkey and, and settled in? Was it stressful? Was it hard or, or did it just work very smoothly? Um, I don't have a remembrance that we really had lots of stress. And of course, you try to learn the language and have lots of things where you don't know how to do it and how to do things. But for me, it wasn't so stressful. What about as as Christians and as people who want to do outreach and want to share about Jesus? Obviously, Turkey's a Muslim country. Was that very sensitive? Was that difficult? Or, or did, what, did that just come up naturally? The thing is, because we are foreigners and from the West, they actually expect you to be Christians. They think everyone in the West is a Christian. So if you start, go on a playground or somewhere where people are, uh, and you talk and they ask you, where do you come? Ah, and then they right away know that you're Christian and Turks are all kind of Muslims. They love to speak about God. And this is in their normal way of life, everyday life. So it's very easy to come and to have conversations about your belief. Let's move ahead to 2007. How how long had you been in Turkey? When when did you first move there? 97. So we were ten, nearly 10 years in Turkey. Okay. Were there threats? Did, did you sense like this is dangerous, this, you know, or were you just kind of living your life and thought, you know, everything's fine? Um, it was a time when from the state and from the media, people who were Christian would uh, have a really bad reputation. They would say these bad people, they take your young people and brainwash you and they do all kind of bad things you can imagine. So that was always in the press. But the people around us, they were totally different. So we never had problems with people or had threats. We had uh, here in the city, the pastor and the youth pastor, they also went to meet people who wanted someone to connect as a Christian. So they would go there and bring Bibles to them, bring literature to them. And uh, that sometimes caused trouble so that people said, oh, police came or also, the media always had something to write, but never really two things. But yeah, also, before we even came to Malatya, the day before we moved, our friend who moved here earlier, he said to us, he phoned us and said to us, 
uh, oh, congratulations, you made it on the first page of the newspapers. <laughs> so they made just up a story. Uh, my husband had a company for German and English translate, um, uh, classes. And then the other guy had a company. So he mixed everything, was mixed in this newspaper. But it was on the front page saying, these bad people are coming to our city. So before you ever got there, there was a newspaper yeah. story about it? Wow. Yes. <laughs> so did you have any second thoughts about moving to Malatya when that happened? Or No, not at, no, no, not at all. Uh, we were quite used to, you know, secret services everywhere. And yeah, they know what you're doing. So. Never mind. So it's just a regular part of your life. You you really don't think yeah. about it that much. No. That's hard for us to kind of comprehend that that you just kind of go on and don't and don't worry about it. How how did you hear that morning in April of 2007? How did you hear that there had been an attack? How did you hear what had happened? Uh I was at home. It was like midday and my neighbor came over and she said uh, they always have the television on. So she came to me and said, oh, you know, something must have happened here in Malatya. An American died and he was killed and something terrible. And can it be your people? And I was like, I don't know, an American in Malatya. So then she came again and said, yeah, I'm not so sure. And then phone calls started to come. Uh, so do you know where your husband is? Do you know where my husband is? Stuff like this. And I was like, this is strange. Um, so we got our, my two little kids from school and then my elder was in another school. She, she came later and then we started really to search and figure out what has happened. And we didn't know where our uh, husbands were. So we went to found all the hospitals and then close to our old house, there, um, was a hospital. So we went there. Uh, I went there with my two kids and, um, they just right away put us in a little face and said, oh, wait there, wait there, we, we tell you. And um, they never came and the police was outside and we were waiting and praying. And then uh, I saw this guy talking to somewhere else, like you know, whispering around. And I was like, okay, he knows something. So I went out and said, so do you know something? No, 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 we don't know anything. I said, you know something, tell me. And I really grabbed him. And you normally shouldn't do this with a Turkish guy. I grabbed him and said, tell me the truth, dead or alive. I really wanted, just wanted to know that one. And then he said, no, your husband died. What were your emotions in, in those first, was it shock? Was it just like, how did I, you even process that? It was just too much. It was just shock, I would say. And uh, they brought me to the police station because of security reasons. My kids went with friends home. So I only came home then in the evening. And how did your kids receive the news? Yeah, they were shocked too. They were crying. And I just remember that they went home and I had to go to the police station. And then in the evening when I came home, the home was filled with people and my kids were there. My older daughter was there. She came home in between. And uh, yeah, it was just crowded with people. One of the really amazing things about your story is just how quickly you gave forgiveness and even publicly to the press, to the media said, I forgive these men. I don't hold this against them. How did you get there so quickly? I think a lot of our mm -hmm. listeners would say, you know, this is like literally within hours, you're on TV saying, I forgive them. How how did God help you to get there so quickly? That was the next day. Lots of uh, pastors of Turkey came 
uh, in the morning they had a press conference and then afterwards they were all in my living room sitting there and we were all sitting there and I was really my head was empty like foggy nothing no thoughts just yeah sitting there shock and really. then yeah really shocked and then there was uh, the doorbell rang and the media people came and said they want to talk to me and I said no way I don't want to talk I don't know what to say what can I say so then one of the pastors said to me see we always want to get the, the gospel to get out so maybe this would be um, a good opportunity. And that was like someone switched me on again. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. But what do I say? I had no idea. I really had no idea. And so I sat there and prayed a really quick prayer, asking the Lord, what can I say? Because he promised to give us the words we should mm -hmm. say. And then I had the impression like, you know, when in, in the Old Testament it said with Moses and the Lord spoke to Moses, I always was wondering how that happened. but. I think this is exactly what happened to me. It's like the Lord spoke to me. Forgive them because they don't know what they've done. And I was like, oh, that was what Jesus said on the cross. So I was like, okay, if he wants for me to do this, I will do this. But this was just really obeying the words of the Lord, just obeying what he said to me. But because of this, afterwards, lots of people came to interview and, and I had also a live thing in the television where I thought, okay, when they cut, they cut, but they can't really cut in between, you know, <laughs> what you said is out. So I just said that I really forgave because Jesus forgave me because Jesus died on the cross for me and he forgave my sins. And then after he died on the cross, he rose again. And this is why we can have life. And then I remember the guy looked at me and said, huh? Can you explain it a bit better? So this kind of opportunities really happen. Did you see that instantaneously? Like, like, look at this terrible thing that's happened. My husband's been killed, but look what God is doing. Like he's opening these amazing doors because of this. We had always church in our house. So one Sunday I said, it's so strange that all this, this new paper guys come and everyone wants to talk to me. And then one of the men said to me, but you remember? He was there one Sunday, and it happened to be the same Sunday that he was there. Uh, you talked about the dream you had, and it's true, I had a dream long before the things happened. And it was exactly about that the uh, people with the television and this uh, microphone come up to me and told me, asked me, so, and you know about your life, and you know about light, can you tell us about it? It was what I dreamed, what I dreamt. And I was like, what on earth is this? So... <laughs> The lot he knows. You mentioned earlier the fact that, you know, you guys were from Germany. When you would meet people on the street, they would assume you're Christians because you're mm. you're Westerners, you're foreigners. Mm. For Najati and Ur, they were Turkish. They were assumed mm. to be Muslims, but yeah. here they were Christians. How much impact did that have on Turkish people to realize, hey, these guys were Turkish and they were Christians and they died for their faith. I'm not so sure about the non-believing uh, people here in the country. Um, they just said they're crazy. This is their fault. <laughs> they do stuff like this. But for the Christians, for the one part, they were really afraid. And for the other part, they said, okay, if these people die for Jesus, then I go out and preach the gospel. I don't care. So we had both sides. 
the five men who committed the murders, they actually were captured at the scene. Uh, and yet the trial just went on and on and on. It seemed like from an outsider's perspective, it just seemed like it went on for years and years. What, what was the end result as far as the trial? Actually, not what we really wanted because we wanted to get the people behind uh, the five guys because everyone know. Yeah, um, uh, we should say for for our listeners, the, the five guys who were arrested were 19 and 20 and 21 years old. So they were not like grown men who came up with this plan all on their own. Um, so now go ahead and, and share. Yeah. Um, and um there must have been people behind them who influenced them, who told them what to do. And so we're trying to figure out uh, who was, who were the people, what happened. But the lawyers really, really, really tried hard. And whether there were some um, judges who also tried hard, but then they always changed the judges, they changed, changed other people. So it dragged on and on and on. And in the end, really not something came out. It was just the five guys and Others had some little other things, but not really who was behind it. You mentioned the idea that that some Muslims had about the two Turks who were killed, that they kind of got what they deserved. You know, hey, mm -hmm. they should have stayed Muslim. Then this wouldn't have happened. What was the response of people to you? Because I know you had friends, you had neighbors. How did they respond to this attack? They said this is not Islam. We should we we shouldn't do this. And some people they were really sorry. I had one guy, Mitz in the city, um, coming up out of his shop and and really starting to cry and said to me, "This is not who we are. This is not what we people are. And this is the truth. This is not the neighbors I know." And because when when that happened, the neighbors came. They helped us. Um, they made the uh, the tea for the people. And there is a rule that if in a house someone dies. Uh, three days they bring the neighbors bring the food to the people so we had so many visitors it was around 80 80 people so they brought three days for lunch and for dinner for 80 people meal so that was really something they really enjoyed doing this and other people came then after that and said oh we also want to bring food to your house so there you could see that's not the people it must have been something else and I know also that the the church, not just your congregation, but the the Christian body across Turkey, really gathered in and and they kind of experienced this all together. Is that kind of what you would say too? Yeah, that was really like a community um, was shaken, but at the same time, all the pastors were together. They helped each other, and we got help from other cities and. That was really like a big family. The family of God, which we are thankful for. Susanna, the, the Bible talks about God as being the husband to the widow, uh, the father to the fatherless. How have you experienced that in, in the 15 years since Tillman was killed? Um, it's really true. <laughs> I can say that he really watched over my kids. I could never have grown them up like this because they're all three great believers going with the Lord. For me, this is every morning a new miracle because I was shouting at them and getting crazy. <laughs> but the Lord really made it good. It's not easy to grow um, three teenagers on your own. 
with all my troubles, I could always come to the Lord and I always could talk to him and had the impression whenever I was really down and really said, I, because it wasn't my decision. And I would say, um, you put me into this mess. So it's your, it's your responsibility to help me because it wasn't my choice. Um, and always you would have something, either a phone call, someone would come or something would happen. So he always would look after me. I, I love that prayer. Lord, you put me in this situation, so you've got to take care of me. And like you say, he's he's been faithful to do that. What is the state of, of the Christians in Turkey right now? I, I think for most of us, when we think of Turkey and Christians, we think of Pastor Brunson being in prison for two years. Uh, obviously, he was an American citizen, not a Turkish citizen. What is it like to be a Christian in Turkey today? Is it, is it better than it was 15 years ago? Is it worse? Is it the same? I don't think it's better. I wouldn't really say it's worse. It's always going up and down. Mm -hmm. So these days for foreigners, it's quite hard. You won't get any visa anymore. There's no tourist visa. Um, it's really, really hard to come in this country if you don't have a visa or a work platform or whatever. And then for Turks, it's not where it's not so easy uh, because of they have, if you put in your identity card, Christian, because there is a part that religion. So you put either Islam, nothing or Christian. Then they won't get a job or hard. It will be hard for them to get a job. And they have restrictions. They can't really work in, in, um, jobs uh, from the state, like being a teacher in a normal state school or work in whatever. So some of our friends do, but they really have to shut their mouth, not <laughs> to say anything. So yeah, this is hard for them. And the other side is this thinking of, yeah, we can do something to these Christians because our people up there, they will say, you did a good job. But on the other side, lots of people here are really fed up with Islam because in school, everywhere you have it and in every subject of school, school subject. So we have lots of people coming to church and searching and the um, Internet is full because of Corona. The church started to have their Zoom uh, meetings and stuff. So also some of them have really every Sunday over YouTube. You can watch the services. And so it's spread far more because of COVID. It really spread a lot. And people were searching in the Internet. So people coming. It's like on the one side, it got more press. On the other side, the people really coming more. I think particularly of COVID. And we've heard this story in other countries as well, that people were locked in at home nobody was necessarily looking over their shoulder. Like they could search the internet in privacy and not have to explain to their loved ones. Hey, why are you looking at the Bible? Why are you searching for Christian material? Is that true in Turkey as well? Yes. True. True as well. I know at least one person I know by, by heart, uh, she became a believer in COVID and she always said, I'm an internet believer because <laughs> for a whole year she had no contact with a real Christian she only wow. had Zoom meetings and stuff. When you think about Tillman's legacy, what what do you think that is? How how would you describe his legacy? He was a really, really good preacher. I know that lots of people from our church say that they 
especially in the beginning, really missed his preaching. And then a musician, because he wrote two songs and one song is sang in the whole community of Turkey. So all the churches sing this, his song. I don't think he wanted to sacrifice life. He was, <laughs> if you would have asked him the day before, he would have said no, because we had an exact 10 days before we watched the film Kuvadis, and um, where the Roman Christians came and they were eaten up by the lions. And we were watching that film and both of us were like, uh-uh, we're not ready to die for Jesus. And a week later, he was dead. So... I don't think you can say that. That's fascinating to me. A week later, he was ready. So so the Lord helped him prepare or prepared him or something to make something, him ready. Yeah, yeah, something like this. It's amazing how the Lord does that. Uh, I mean, how he, at that moment, he is with us and he works with us and through us. And you certainly experienced that in being able to witness for the gospel in the midst of shock and grief and all of those things. What are some specific ways we can pray for Turkey right now? I think you first can pray for the question that they really stick to their faith because lots of them are interested. Then they go through the baptism classes, they get baptized. But after that, some people stay, some people right away fell, some people have troubles with their family or with their work, and then they fell away, fell apart or so, so that they really can stick to their belief, what they believe in, and that they really read their Bible and try to stay with Jesus. I think this is, for me always, is very important mm -hmm. to see people really staying with Jesus. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, for our workers, that we still have them. <laughs> Not always people have to leave the country because lots of pastors had to leave the country. So churches were on their own and had really trouble. I also have a project um, for the East we live here in the east of Turkey. So my big dream and prayer request is to finally uh, can buy land to build a um, retreat center in the east of Turkey. Because they, we have two in Turkey in the west, totally, like from here it's about 1,300 kilometers. But here in the east, there's nothing. So when there is family camps, children's camps, or pastors want to have a retreat or whatever, there's no place to go. So um, this is our dream, and we started to pray and to ask for support for mm -hmm. buy land, and then slowly, surely, build something on top of it. This is my little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Susanna, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing with us, and and I do hope that our listeners will pray for you and pray for Turkey, mm -hmm. and uh, thank you for your faithfulness and and just. What, a, what an example of keeping on serving the Lord, even mm -hmm. after loss, even after grief, but, but keeping on serving the Lord. So thank you for sharing with us. You're very welcome. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.